When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today is a swimming legend, a multiple world record holder who owns eight Olympic medals, four of gold. Selected as the first female swimmer to carry the Australian flag at an Olympic opening ceremony, she is just the third Australian swimmer to compete at four Olympic Games. As busy out of the pool as she is in it, she juggles training with a university degree, a burgeoning media career, and a role as ambassador of Melanoma Institute Australia. Today's trailblazer is Kate Campbell, OAM. How are you? You are talking to us from Hotel Quarantine, right? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be able to see a face that is not my own, even though we're here virtually, <laughs> and to speak to someone who isn't myself because the conversation's getting really dry. I'm on day 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had a lot to think about. Congratulations on another stellar Olympic performance. Have you had a chance? I guess you have had a chance to reflect on it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, in a way, not really, because this kind of hotel quarantine experience is just kind of part of, of that Olympic journey. Um, and I think that when I really see my friends and family and give them a hug and uh, I'm able to debrief with them and tell them all the stories face to face, I think that that's kind of when it will all sink in. I'm kind of just sitting here thinking like, did that actually happen? Or, or, or did we imagine it? Like, was I in another country? Because I feel like that's almost as crazy as the Olympics itself. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was a fourth Olympic campaign, three more medals to add to the trophy cabinet. Is each one more special than the one before? Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I, th I think as I've gotten older, I appreciate more and more the experiences that I have and the people who I get to meet and, and, and then my achievements as well. I think that sometimes when you're younger and it's one of the beauties about being young is you just kind of take things a little bit for granted. And if something works out well, then you're just like, well, it works out well for everyone. And that's definitely not the case. And I think that the more struggles you, you go through in life, and that tends to be a little bit later, and the longer you live, the more struggles you go through, the more you appreciate those really good times and, and the highs that you manage to achieve. Yeah, we call those struggles building resilience, don't we? <laughs> when the Tokyo Olympics were delayed by 12 months, how did you deal with that? 12 months is a lot of training laps with a lot of time to think yeah and look it it probably hit us oldies a little bit harder than than young <laughs> chickens so i'm i'm tw i'm 29 and i'm the oldest swimmer on the australian swim team so my body just isn't quite what it what it once was so every year that that kind of gets 
you, you get further and further and closer to 30, the, the harder it is. I think that for some swimmers, it was a, a blessing. You know, we had eight completely brand new swimmers on the team who, who had never made an Australian swim team before. Uh, and some of them were quite young. You know, one of the girls was, was only just 17. So she probably wouldn't have qualified for the Olympics if it was last year. But now she, she is an Olympian and she's actually an Olympic gold medalist. So, it, you know, for every person's loss, there's, there's someone who wins out of the situation. But yeah, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was particularly challenging for me. And my body kind of hasn't really enjoyed the past 12 months. <laughs> well, you might call it the oldest swimmer. I'm going to call it the most experienced swimmer. Does that preparation change as you as you age when you get to a fourth olympics i'm guessing you know the drill pretty well don't you yeah yeah you kind of know when when to knuckle down and and when to completely focus in in a way it's it's an advantage because you know what lies ahead of you and in a way it's a disadvantage because you just know how hard you have to work like i turn up to training <laughs> and i just know how hard the session's going to be and i'm like oh Man, I kind of wish I didn't know this, but obviously there are so many advantages to, to having a little bit more experience under your belt. And then, of course, being able to share that with, with some of the, the younger swimmers has, has been really, really nice. It's one of the things I really enjoy is getting together as an Australian swim team and seeing the, the innocence and the enthusiasm of some of the youngsters. It reminds me of, of how I was when I first started. Now, Tokyo differed for you, of course, from the others in that you were elected flag bearer with Patty Mills for the opening ceremony. When and how did you find out that you had that honour? Yeah, so I, I got a, a message from Ian Chesterman, who was the chef de mission, just saying, oh, hey, Kate, do you mind if I give you a call? I'd like a chat. Now, I don't know about you, Ooh. but when <laughs> someone says, I'd like a chat, that usually doesn't bode well. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Like, I, I think I've been pretty, I haven't been doing anything. I've just been training. Like, why do they want to talk to me? And so I said, yeah, sure, um, give me a call. And, and, and he asked me if I would be flag bearer. And I think I just didn't speak for a good 10 seconds or so. I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. I then just had to say uh, I, I'm really honoured but I just need to talk to like my coach and and the Australian swim team head coach just to make sure because swimming starts really early in the program of the Olympic Games just to make sure that my performance wouldn't be at all compromised because ultimately I, I go to the Olympics to perform at my best and I wanted to make sure that I did that first um, as much of an honour as it was but as, as it turns out I had a good 36 hours of complete rest and recovery before I needed to to be racing in the pool so we felt like I'd done enough training to do a lap of the Olympic um, stadium and then get out to bed. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were flag waving fit. Um, is that unusual for you to be at an opening ceremony? Do you normally go? Yeah, it's very unusual. That was my first opening ceremony. So most of the swimmers don't actually go at all. So I, I was the only swimmer who, who went this time and, and most of the swimmers don't go at all unless they're only racing like way down at the end of the week. So what was the experience like? Oh, it was, it was incredible. It was it was actually walking out into the Olympic Stadium was an oddly sobering moment, surprisingly. Uh, so two weeks before the Olympics were due to go ahead, it was announced that there would be no crowds uh, allowed at Tokyo. Uh, the COVID situation in Tokyo had gotten to a stage where it wasn't going to be safe to have people in the crowds. And as all the athletes got loaded into the buses at the Olympic Village and we were all driving to, to the stadium together, the Tokyo locals came out and they lined the side of the streets and they were clapping and waving and, and 
Oh, it was just, it was so beautiful. It was this beautiful moment where you could just see how happy and excited they were to host an Olympic Games and, and you could feel that they just wanted to be a part of it. And then, of course, we, we get to this, this stadium and, and Patty and I walk out into this bright spotlight and you can see this stadium that has been purpose built and it was completely empty. Mm. And it was, it was, it just, in, in that moment, it, it made me feel so grateful to be at these games and it, it made me appreciate how much sacrifice had gone into hosting these games and allowing us to be able to go and compete. Obviously, there was a, a huge economic sacrifice that Japan had to make. But more than that, there, then there were you know thousands and thousands of personal sacrifices that these Tokyo locals had made and the Japanese locals had made by not being able to go and fill the stands and cheer on their athletes. And I've lived in Sydney for the past two years and people still talk about where they were at the Sydney Olympics and what have they <laughs> where they volunteered and you know the the Japanese people didn't get to do that and they kind of they they, they gave up that um so so that we could still go and compete safely and yeah it was uh, I it was it was sobering but um really inspiring at the same time it was so wonderful to to watch from back home and and you filled the role with a plum I did hear a rumor that you did some flag waving practice what did that look like <laughs> yeah look um in, in terms of functional training it probably wasn't very <laughs> relevant but it made me feel good <laughs> around a broomstick for a little bit so <laughs> well it was quite funny though because I was watching with my kids and we just love all the, all the pomp and ceremony around it and opening ceremony and when you and Patty came out we, we were sort of marveling at how much harder it is to wave a flag with two people is that what you found? It is very hard. It's hard to wave a flag <laughs> and walk and then to do that with two people because uh, kind of we, we, we entered waving together and then we each took turns. And it's actually really hard not to tangle the flag up around the pole, even when you're just waving it by yourself. But I'm glad that we rose to the occasion and that the pressure of the situation didn't get to us. And um, for the first couple of waves, at least, it was, it was a clean wave and we managed to walk. <laughs> and wave at the same time. Uh, I could tell you it looks spectacular from back here. Your family, of course, would have been watching on from home, well, apart from Bronte, who is uh, in the village. Did they critique your performance? They must have been absolutely bursting with pride. <laughs> Thankfully, no critiques. They're, 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 not, they're not too mean. Um, but, yeah, they were very excited and I got messages from my family all over the world and they were saying, oh, it was so great, it was so exciting to see you walk out. So, yeah, those, those are the types of memories that, that you really hold on to and probably things that, that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And how about the games as a whole, not necessarily swimming up and down the pool, but inside the village, the, the, the prep, the warm-up rooms, uh, the holding spaces, what was it like for you? Yeah, it's funny because people say, oh, you know, the, these Olympics, they, they must have been such a different experience. And in some ways, yes, they were. But in all the ways that mattered, they weren't. You know, the, the facilities were great. We still stayed at an Olympic village and it, it, was, it was a really, really well-designed Olympic village. Um, the food was good. The dining hall was, was really carefully thought out. Um, the transport to and from all the venues worked. Uh, the venues themselves were spectacular. I mean, not, not just the, the swimming venue, but obviously the athletic stadium. And uh, I managed to get out and, and see um, some boxing as well. And that was in like an old, um, they, they usually use it for sumo wrestling. Um, so it's usually a sumo <laughs> wrestling stadium. So, you know, it had velvet seats, um, but it was just, it was such a well thought out and planned games. And in, in all the ways that 
that that mattered. It still had that feel of of the Olympics, and it still functioned really, really well. Um, obviously, there was you know we had to sit in like little perspex boxes when we were in the dining hall, so you couldn't um, socialize with other athletes. And obviously, um, mask wearing and hand hygiene and no intermingling with with other countries and, and and all of those things. But it's amazing how quickly you adapt to that, and it just kind of becomes normal. Well, Japan certainly seems to agree with you. Five golds at the Pan Packs in 2018. Is, is Tokyo a place you're particularly fond of? It is. I have a real soft spot for Japan. Um, I've gone there and competed there many, many times. Um, I think it brings out the best of me, but it's just, it, it's such a beautiful country full of incredible people. And that's that's one of the, the, the real joys about going to an Olympic Games is getting to experience uh, a, a different culture and seeing what, what each host country brings to to, to the village. And I tell you what, uh, I've never seen as many people line up um, as beautifully in an Olympic village as I have in this Tokyo Olympic village. Uh, the Japanese are fastidious line, um, liner operas. They have like line <laughs> marshals to make sure that, that everyone um, adheres to, to the correct queuing protocols and, and woe betide you if you jump the, jump the queue. So it was kind of beautiful to see everyone embracing that and, and being um, a little bit more polite and less pushy than than I have seen in the past. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting with Kate Campbell, a trailblazer in the pool in green and gold for many years. But Kate, your life began in Malawi. What memories do you have of those years? Yeah, it did. It, it uh, began in Malawi, um, a kind of small country in Southeast Africa. Um, moved to Australia when I was nine, so in 2001. So I actually have some quite strong memories um, from, from my time growing up there. Um, I guess it, it has like a, growing up in Africa, it has kind of a wild freedom that isn't really replicated over in Australia and you know because there are fewer rules and you know you you have a a lot more freedom and liberty in in one aspect but then obviously safety um, prosperity education all of those things are really limited so uh, as a kid it was just a great place to grow up about a third of the country is taken up by this gigantic lake and we used to go pretty much every weekend to to Lake Malawi my dad was an avid catamaran set sailor but um, us kids just used to play in the water all the time we used to go and spot animals in the local um, like game reserve to see if we could see any deer or hyenas or, or whatever else was out there so and I didn't didn't notice um, as much you don't notice the poverty and, and and all of that and but I can remember when we moved to Australia just being completely blown away by this country I just I'd never seen anything so clean in my life like all the streets had (laughs) all the traffic lights worked I one of my earliest memories is we were amazed by the garbage truck you know how it has a little arm that like comes out and picks up the rubbish bin and empties it in and it just, it, it, like I'm the eldest of, of five children, but it just blew our little minds. Every Monday morning at 6 a.m. we'd like wake up and go and hang in like out the curtains of, of our home and watch the garbage truck come around because we just couldn't believe that a place like that existed. So I've, look, I've come a long way. I'm no longer impressed by the garbage truck. I'm appreciative, but not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> we need TV, right? You mentioned Lake Malawi, and I, I 
read that you'd been swimming there as a kid. Apparently near hippopotami, is that right? They're animals, seriously, that most people only see in picture books and they look really cute and harmless. But they are anything but. Were you taught to be aware of them in the way we teach Aussie kids to be wary of snakes and things like that? Yes, yeah. So we, we teach Aussies to, like, don't touch spiders, don't touch snakes, like, watch watch when you're walking in grass because you might stand on a snake um when when you're in africa it's like watch the waterways because there's crocodiles there's hippopotamuses um depending on where you are there's like um you know some some wild cats um so yes the 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 equivalent was um a, a couple of hippopotami uh who were living close to where we used to go and stay um actually one of them was uh ended up turning out to be like a very aggressive male who um would go around and i think i think it actually might have killed a couple of villagers so we um wow. got, got relocated to hippo heaven after after that but yeah there was there was <laughs> there was one instance where we we were out in like a, a little tinny boat and we were swimming and we just heard like this and it was like the sound of the hippo coming up to breathe I don't think I've ever moved that fast to get back in the boat. Like it was, I would have broken every world record in the books. Like all, it was like me and I think Bronte in the water and maybe dad and the screaming and the panicking to get back in the boat. Um, yeah. I think we broke a couple of world records. <laughs> so a heck of a way to learn to swim fast. <laughs> now your mother was your, technically your first swimming instructor. Uh, were you a natural? Um, I'm not sure if I was a, a natural or whether it's just because I was put in the water at, at such a young age, but swimming definitely runs runs in our family. Um, my mum was a synchronised swimmer. Um, they call it artistic swimming now. And she was good enough to have competed at a world championships or an Olympic Games or a Commonwealth Games. But because she was born in South Africa and, and that's who she would have been competing for, it was during apartheid. So South Africa was banned from all international sporting competitions. So she kind of never really got to realise that dream. But her mother is is a swim teacher and used to teach swimming lessons in, in her backyard. And whenever we'd go and, and visit Gran in South Africa, we would always get swimming lessons in the backyard. So it, it, it really is probably just this, love and affinity with the water that has just been passed down through these generations and yeah definitely something that I'll pass down to my kids as well um even even if you you don't follow that I, I just it's it's honestly the the place that I feel most at home and I'm happiest and I just think like no days so bad that it can't be cured by like just fully submerging yourself in water. There's something really cleansing about it. You were homeschooled uh, at the start of your education. Your mom is extraordinarily multi-talented, isn't she? She's pretty incredible. She is, yeah, mother of five children. She was a qualified nurse, you know, swim swim teacher. She'll 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 take credit for for our um, technique. And, <laughs> and then and then you know homeschooled us for for the majority of, of time. Well, for the whole time that we were in Malawi. And she's uh, I have a severely disabled younger brother, and she's full time carer for him. And she has recently just requalified as a midwife and is now working full time just because her life wasn't busy enough. So. Yeah, I definitely get a, a lot of my drive and um, work ethic from her and, and just, just from watching her. And uh, I believe she also enjoyed watching the Olympics, even if she didn't have the opportunity to compete. So you watched uh, a lot of Olympics as a kid. If you weren't on track to be a star swimmer, what other sport do you reckon you'd fancy being an Olympic athlete in? Ooh, surfing has now become an Olympic sport. 
And I feel like, look, it's not something, I think I've only tried it once or twice um, and I was horrendously bad at it, but I can see how it is very addictive. And so if I got better at it, I think I might enjoy it a bit more, but um, it's another opportunity. I think it's just a good lifestyle too. Also, they just seem like the most relaxed people. And I kind of wish that I was a little bit more relaxed. So maybe if I was, um, yeah, part of that culture a little bit more, I'd, I'd get a little bit more of that surfer dude kind of swagger. <laughs> maybe it would have helped if uh, mum and dad had moved closer to the coast. Your dad was hoping to be close to the water, wasn't he? I guess the Brisbane River wasn't the sailing nirvana that he was after when you moved. <laughs> Sadly not, no. Um, the old brown snake, it, it Look, it, it has many advantages, but um, catamaran sailing is not one of them. <laughs> uh, the local pool in Indrapilly was where you ended up. Uh, was it just fate and perhaps geographical location that brought you together with Simon and Chisa? Yeah, so uh, we moved to Australia and started renting a house that was maybe sort of 600 metres down the road from uh, Indrapilly Swimming Club. And what better way than to plug into Australian culture and meet some new people because we didn't have any friends then to join your local swim club and it was just luck fate you know wh whatever it was um that that I met my coach um of 20 years Simon Cusack um actually a, a bit of bit of fun trivia is uh on the 25th of July 2021 was when I swam in the final of the 4100 freestyle relay as, as part of that team at, at the Olympics alongside my sister Bronte of course and we ended up winning and breaking a world record but the 25th of July 2001 so 20 years earlier was when we first walked into that swimming pool and I met my coach Simon so there's a beautiful wow. to that isn't there oh that's absolutely gorgeous and and so wonderful that he's seen that development for for both of you uh, I know he said he was hoping you would actually excel in different strokes uh, of course fate had other ideas but did that just add another level to competitive swimming for you I think Bronte probably took it a little bit more seriously than you at the start Ah, uh, yes. Bronte was a very, <laughs> very driven, determined uh, young seven-year-old. Um, if you looked up dedication in the dictionary, it probably would have said seven-year-old Bronte Campbell. <laughs> I, on the other hand, um, I was nine at, at this point. I was just, I was so lazy. Look, to be honest, I'm actually quite a lazy person and it's something that I have to consciously get over all the time. Like it's exhausting. I'm not a naturally motivated person. And we, I would, you know, turn around at the flags or let people lap me in training. Um, the only problem was, is that I was training with Bronte who not only knew how many laps she'd done, she knew how many laps I'd done. So when I like kind of cruised to the wall, I'd get like a tap on the head and be like, um, you've got two more laps. Uh, <laughs> which is just the worst. Like nobody likes that person. And then, and then we went to, to our first swimming carnival and I won a bronze medal for my 25 metres backstroke, which I kind of didn't think was too shabby. Bronte, on the other hand, walks away with four gold medals and an age championship trophy. <laughs> she then proceeds to wear these around the house like and all four medals so she can she's clinking as she's walking around so you can hear where she is in the house because she's got these medals around her neck clinking and she brought her trophy and would like set it next to her plate at the dinner table anyway I was not feeling so crash held about my 
little bronze 25 meter backstroke medal. So I kind of stole them and I hid them under my bed and because that's the most original hiding spot when you're nine years old. And mum found them and sat me down and just said, Kate, look, Bronte's worked really hard for these. Like I've seen you train and you don't deserve to be excelling because you're not working hard enough. And and if you want what Bronte has, then you're going to have to work for it. I was like, oh man, that's a bit brutal to hear at nine years old. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but she was right. There was, there's no other way. Um, there's no other shortcuts. And I kind of, at that point decided that I wanted to clink when I walked down corridors and the, the shiny medals were, were much more exciting than my bronze medal. And it was Bronte's dream to go to the Olympics and you just can't have a younger sister show you up. So it suddenly became my dream too. <laughs> Well, suffice to say, you've done a fair bit of clinking since then. (laughs) I don't wear all my medals all the time. Don't worry. I learned my lesson. I got a lesson in hard work at night. Bronte, seven-year-old Bronte got a lesson in humility because she created her little nemesis here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. How about out of the pool? What was life like? Did you have any other extracurricular activities? Did you have time for anything else? I, I, when, when I was in primary school, I, I tried a whole heap of other sports. I tried netball and touch football. And I think I had a brief stint with tennis and one horrendous experience with cross country where I think I crossed the line and just started crying because it was so horrible. Um, so look, I, I tried a few others, but probably by, by the time I was ready to go to high school, I pretty much narrowed in on swimming. It was just... Um, I just fell in love with it. Uh, probably helped that it was the the sport that I was most good at as well. And we tend to like things that we're good at. So I, yeah, definitely from the time that I was in high school, there probably wasn't really that much time. Um, I think from when I was maybe 13 or so, I was doing like eight, eight or nine swim sessions a week. So, you know, before and after school and, and training six days a week. So training on Saturday mornings as well. And I know that like people listening are going to say, oh my gosh, that sounds a lot. You know, my 13 year old, I'm lucky to get them to the pool three times a week. But honestly, it was all I wanted to do. Like I was every teenage parent's dream child because all mum had to say to make me behave was I'm not going to take you to swimming training. And I was like, all right, I will do anything. So it it was, it was a, a drive and a passion that really came completely from me. It was never something that was forced upon me. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Our Trailblazer today is Kate Campbell, OAM. Kate, do you remember when you made your first Olympic team? Yeah, I do. Let me cast my mind back. It's a while ago now. Um, um I I was 15 turning 16 grade 11 at school um and in a way it was just like it just happened you know um and I know that there are so many people who have strived so hard to get to an Olympics and have maybe fell agonizingly short who are banging their head against a wall just hearing me say that but I think that it was at that point I wasn't even really going for the 2008 Olympics like it was just all I wanted to do was swim fast and I just loved swimming fast and I just got better and better and the better I got the the more I loved it and then the more I'd want to train and it just kind of was the self-fulfilling prophecy 
that then, you know, an Olympics came up and we were like, oh, we may as well go to the Olympic trials. Um, that was, you know, my first ever uh, Australian swim team. So um, I, I went from zero to hero very quickly, um, never having been on any Dolphins teams before then. And, and then suddenly making a, a senior team. I think I'd, I'd done a school project on um, Liesl Jones literally the year before. <laughs> and suddenly I was on a, on a team with her. So I kind of... It was, it was more just like a little bit of shock and disbelief than, than anything else. I, I probably didn't really feel like I'd achieved this lifelong dream because Bronte wasn't going with me. And, and kind of from the time that, that we both decided we were going to the Olympics, it was something that we wanted to achieve together. Um, and we would have to wait another four years and, until 2012 to, to get to do that. Tell me honestly, because you've made a habit of making Olympic teams, how much green and gold polyester do you own? Oh, so much. I have so much. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much like my parents' garage is just full of it. I, I have, I've given a, a lot of it away over the years and, and I've now kind of made made a rule that I don't buy any souvenirs uh, where, when I go around teams and I, I'm just going to give away my uniform, which is kind of cool because it's something that you can't buy. Like you can buy Olympic memorabilia and um, and and merchandise anywhere, but um, to, to get a piece of, of Olympic kit is is pretty special. But I'm like oddly protective of it because I had this thing about like I, I, I give away a, a lot of my uniform, um, but I have this thing about if, if you wear a piece of Olympic uniform, you have to have been like involved in the Olympic process in some way. Um, so I make sure that like when, when I give it to, to someone, they've, they've helped me in, in some way or they've been a part of my journey, whether it's friends, family or, you know, physios or the, the 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 circle gets bigger and bigger because obviously there are so many people involved but yeah I'm I'm I have a lot of it and I could give away more of it but then I'm just like weirdly protective of it as well <laughs> <laughs> is it the souvenir that Jessica Abigail and Hamish still want or have they got enough of it now <laughs> um so it's funny that um, I collect probably the, the only thing that I really um, cover and collect is like the, the little mascots that you get when you get presented a medal. And my younger sister, Abigail, because uh, when I started competing, so she's nine years younger than me. So she was really young. So I used to bring back like those stuffed toys for her. And that's that's the only thing she wants now. Like she, she doesn't care about the medal or, or, or the uniforms, but she's like, can I get my soft toy? Like, <laughs> where's that? Where's that Olympic mascot? <laughs> <laughs> so gorgeous, uh, Kate. You've won medals at so many international swimming meets, but the Olympics really are held up as the pinnacle. Is that how you see it? Um, yes, definitely. It, it it carries a lot of weight, um, but also no in the fact that so much about sport comes down to timing and as much as you want to be at your absolute best sometimes you're just going to peak in years that are non-olympic years through circumstances that are completely outside of your control so i've kind of um yes the the olympics is you know the the pinnacle of my sport but i've kind of had to acknowledge and accept that if you don't reach the top of that it, it's not a indication of, of your prowess as an athlete, so to speak, um, in that there is a lot more that goes into it than, than just 
you know, being a, a hard worker and trying really hard. It looks pretty cool from a, uh, a non-Olympian's perspective. Can you share, what is it like to stand on the top of the podium and hear your anthem played? What goes through your head? It makes me tear up and I've had no effort at all in your success. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly special moment. It's it's something that you dream of, you know, or, or, or that you've watched so often on TV. And I think that when you watch it, you see how much it, it meant to that person and then when it's you when, when I'm up there I, I really just just think about everyone who's who's got me there you know and there are so so many people and, and I think about the things that um, we've had to overcome and you know any injury or illness or um, all the early mornings that that mum got up to to train to take me to training uh, all the all the social things that I missed with my friends and how they know that I can't come to them, but they still invite me anyway. And, you know, the, the messages of support and, and, and all of that. And really, that's um, that's what I hold on to when when that national anthem is playing. And it's it, it is it's a very special moment. I think that's why people get so emotional about it. And I think that the the lows uh, give you perspective as well and things outside of the pool I remember after the closing ceremony in London 2012 your brother Hamish was rushed into emergency surgery back home while you and Bronte were still in the village in London does that give you real perspective on life yeah it, it really does and it look it's hard because sport can be so all-encompassing and I find it so addictive and I can find that um, my type of personality tends to like be tunnel vision and, and, and think that it's um, your whole world. But, you know, then, then things happen out, outside of it and you just realise, oh, my goodness, like get a grip. It's, it's just a sporting event. It's just swimming. You know, the, there are so many other things going on. So and, and I think, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of my experiences, whether it's, it's growing up in Africa or, or um, having a disabled brother, has really helped me put things in perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of, of, of going down that, that tunnel vision every now and again, but I think I have enough things in my life to kind of draw me back and, and, and keep that perspective and keep a little bit of that balance. Well, for Olympic Games, it's such an achievement and a testament to your grit and determination. You don't just turn up, you continue to excel and you know how much Australians love to celebrate gold. Uh, is that something that uh, athletes really feel is there too much external pressure from people that will never be anywhere close to a podium is there too much pressure on our athletes that the gold is all that matters well I think so especially because some of my proudest sporting moments I haven't actually won gold um and I I mean this this is something um that we've actually really worked hard on to to change within the Australian swim team so um the emphasis is is on you as a person um and not on your performance you're valued as a person first and your performance second because it 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 is really scary going out there and and feeling like you have to come away with a gold medal or else it's not good enough in fact um on my first ever olympic team in 2008 um at a team meeting uh the coach stood up and said right guys if it's not gold it's not good enough and i was just like oh that's that's wow. a lot of pressure um i ended up winning a, an individual bronze medal at, at those games in the 50 meters freestyle and i remember being so proud of it but looking at it and just thinking like no one's going to think this is good enough like i was so stoked with it 
but um, just being like, well, I've, I've, I've let my team down. So it's, it's something that, that we've really changed within the Australian swim team, that, that culture um, and de-emphasizing the, the importance of winning. And it, it seems strange because the result of that has been the most successful Australian <laughs> Olympic swim team of all time. Um, but, and look, lots of, lots of different reasons go into that. And I'm not saying it's just culture, but I definitely think that plays a part in, in it because um, it, it's, uh, it gives people the freedom to allow themselves to go out and perform without fear of, of if they're going to be judged, um, if they haven't done quite as well as they would like, because some days they're just bad days at the office um, and some days are really, really good. And, and you have to be able to feel safe and secure in the knowledge that your team's ready and waiting for you, regardless of, of what the result is. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Kate Campbell is today's trailblazer. Kate, outside of the pool, you're one very busy lady. So you're in quarantine. How long do you get to stay out of the water this time? I am on day 11 of 14. And as soon as I get out of here, I'm getting straight into the water. I, I, I'm i planning on, on going for, for a little swim. And then the very next day, I'm going and spending a couple of days down the coast and going scuba diving, which is just my new favorite hobby. It Honestly, it's the best thing I've ever done. And yeah, I just, I just cannot wait. Um, water is completely my happy place. And so to be able to breathe under it is just a dream come true. I don't know why it's taken me this long to do it, honestly. Like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> You're just probably more used to being on top of the water, I would imagine, than under it. <laughs> Kate, you stayed back in Tokyo to try and secure a spot on the International Olympic Committee's Athletes Commission. Can you explain how that process works? Yeah, so the IRC Athletes Commission is, is kind of, a, it's an athlete voice that, um, an, an athlete body that meets and then um, can take recommendations to the IOC board. They hold a, a seat on the board. So the, the chair of the Athletes Commission holds a seat on the board. So can actually have a material say in whether things um, get passed or, or not. And it's kind of made up a, of a combination of people who are appointed and then athletes who are voted on by other athletes. So I was, uh, you know, one of 30 candidates um, that, that went for the for four IOC positions. And unfortunately, I, I didn't get in, but I think it's important to still be putting up your hand and, and saying that, yes, I volunteer for these things. So yeah, it's um, a, a little disappointing, but I, I am a part of the Australian Olympic Committee's Athletes Commission. And I've really, really enjoyed my time uh, there. And uh, it's given me a, a real insight into just what it takes to, to put on an Olympic Games. So many strings to your bow. It's incredible. Your your CV in and out of the water is extraordinary. But you've also got university on top of that. How long have you got to go? Oh, I think I have like four subjects left. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> I think, honestly, it's been that long. Um, so I, I'm doing a media and communications degree. And yeah, I think I have, I think I have four subjects left. And I kind of thought about just going full-time and knocking it off um, after the Olympics, but I'm desperate for a holiday and I, I have a two-week holiday booked and I just thought there's nothing worse than being on holiday and knowing that you should be doing something else. So I've kind of deferred that. So I'll hopefully finish it by the end of first semester next year. <laughs> As you said, a communications degree. You've already dipped your toe in the water though in journalism, haven't you? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I do. I, I um 
I really, I think what I enjoy is stories. I've always been an avid reader. I love hearing stories, um, clearly by the amount of talking I've done. I like telling stories. <laughs> and, and I think that for, for me, that's, that, that's what I really enjoy about journalism. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure what, what life is going to look like outside of the pool um, or, or when that decision needs to be made. But I'm just kind of trying my hand at a lot of different things so that when the time comes, I'll, I'll kind of have a bit more of a clear path of where I want to go. Do you have a picture of what your dream job would look like? Is Getaway still on? I guess not in a global <laughs> Oh, seriously. As many Queenslanders are, you're acutely aware of the importance of sun safety and you've been able to use your voice and profile to raise awareness with the Melanoma Institute. That came about through your own experiences, correct? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, Back in 2018, I went in for what was a a routine skin check. Um, I have Scottish heritage um, handed down through my father's side. So I inherited some like beautiful, pale, freckly molly skin um which you know (laughs) loves the Australian sun and it had been it had been about three years since my last skin check um I I usually get them quite regularly but you know life happens and you get busy And, and, and I went to the dermatologist and she was like oh um, I don't really like a couple of uh, a couple of these moles. We're just going to take a couple of biopsies, and shouldn't really be too much of an issue. But if you um, if you hear from us, then we have some news. So anyway, about two days later, I actually like remember exactly where I was. I was paying for parking at at university. The phone rings, and I pick it up, and she says, "Hi, it's Erin McMiniman, and um, I'm, I'm your dermatologist. And we have some good news, and we have some bad news. The bad news is, is that uh, the biopsy of, of mole that that we took on on your right upper arm is a melanoma, and you kind of you hear melanoma, and you just mm. go, ooh, because that's cancer, and that's bad. <laughs> and I, I I know how quickly melanoma can can spread and change, and I was like, oh mm. my gosh, what does this mean? But it was very quickly followed up with the good news is, is that we've caught it at stage one. So we just need you to come back in because we need to take a wider margin um, of skin from around the, the mold to make sure that we've got all the cancer cells um, and hopefully that should be fine. So within the, the, the next day, I was, I was back um, under the knife and getting... Um, getting a, a wider margin taken out around that mole. And then the biopsy from that came back clear. So yes, they'd, they'd got all the cells, but it progresses pretty quickly. If, if, if you, if you catch it at stage two, it, it can, you can need radiation to, to um, help get rid of the cancer cells, or if it gets into your lymph nodes, then it can spread around your body really quickly. Um, it's, I've since found out it's it's the most common cancer in um, young people, so people age 35 and under. And if and if you leave it um, until sort of your stage four, there's an 80% mortality rate, which is is just heartbreaking. So I kind of got a, a big wake up call in a big way, and I was just like, all right, I, I badgered every person in, in my phone book. I was like, you need to get a skin check. You need to get a skin check, and then. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a bit of a platform on social media. And, and I just said, hey, everyone, like, just make sure that that you do this because it was a mole I'd had my whole life. I hadn't noticed any changes um, and it came back as a stage one melanoma. If it had been stage two, that's radiation. If it had been stage three, you know, I could have lost my arm. There could have been any number of terrible things, but I'm very, very grateful that I caught it when I did. And such an important message in uh, the sunshine state. You've spent so many years in in Brisbane, the capital of of Queensland, and they were, of course, announced as Olympic hosts for 2032. How excited are you about that? 
oh my gosh, just so excited. I, I, yeah, I, I can't even begin to tell you how exciting this news is. I, the, the thought that there are youngsters all around the country who were in lockdown and watching uh, these Olympics, you know, the 10, 11, 12 year olds mm. who are going to then hopefully use that to inspire them to go on and then they'll compete at a home Olympic Games. Like I just, that's something that I just can't even imagine how good it would be. You know, I, we kind of got a little bit of a feel for how excited the, the Japanese were to host it, but being around London when, when the, the London Olympics were on and that city just came alive. And then, like I said, talking to people um, when, when I was living in Sydney about their experiences of, of the Sydney Olympics and the buzz around um, that is still exists, you know, and, and yeah, it, it'll just be incredible. And like you said, my home city, um, I will be involved in any way that I can, even if I just have to like volunteer, I'll be involved. It, it's, it's so, so exciting. Imagine Kate Campbell as a volunteer giving you directions to the stadium. <laughs> I, I think there'll be a, a bigger role for you, but seriously, any chance in 11 years time, you'll still be tearing it up in the pool? Oh, there is a there is a precedent um so at my first olympics in 2008 uh i won the bronze in the 50 freestyle and the lady who got second dara torres was from america and she was 42 and she made a comeback so she'd been a swimmer and had a baby and then made a comeback so look there is precedent but I don't know if that's like on the cards for me. I'm making no guarantees. I haven't even committed to Paris 2024, let alone Brisbane 2032. I'll be 40 years old. <laughs> uh, my money's on you with determination like yours. There is still so much to do in your life, Kate Campbell. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us so far and all the very best for whatever your future holds. Thank you so much for being today's trailblazer. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.